The utility industry in the United States has been staring change in the face for some time as its workforce ages and the pool of viable replacements looks alarmingly shallow. Facing what they called a silver tsunami of retiring workers on one side and a lack of interest from young people with the right skills on the other, utilities across the country came together to solve the problem. Their solution was to create the Center for Energy Workforce Development, or CEWD, as a nonprofit consortium with the mission to help utilities recruit and train a next generation of capable workers. Welcome to the Managing the Future of Work podcast from Harvard Business School. I'm your host, Bill Kerr. Today I'm talking with Beth Reese, Executive Vice President of Shared Services at Southern Company and also the chair of the CEWD consortium. Beth brings us a dual perspective as a company executive and as an industry group leader to the task of how to replenish the talent pipeline. Her efforts range from tapping into new sources of talent to selling young people on work that is essential but maybe a bit unglamorous. In many respects, utilities are the proverbial canary in the coal mine as U.S. organizations and businesses across the board struggle with the skills gaps and demographic shifts in the workplace. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you. Beth, can you maybe start with a bit of background about the Southern Company Gas and, and the work that you do? Southern Company is a premier energy provider, mostly in the southeast of the United States. We serve 4.5 million gas customers and 4.5 million electric customers. We're located in Georgia, Alabama, a little bit of Mississippi, and Illinois. We're really focused on the future of energy and what that looks like. Southern Company Gas was acquired by Southern Company in July of 2016. And it was really an opportunity for Southern to be in all of the above in energy sources. And we look at natural gas as a bridge fuel to the future. And it was really important for natural gas expertise to be part of Southern Company's portfolio. Cool. Growing up in Alabama, my family was a customer of the Southern Company for many years. This is a fun podcast that way. You've characterized the skills gap as a cliff that we're approaching. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, I think in about 2006, we were really looking at the retirement eligible employees. And we saw that we had a large number of them getting ready to retire. We were very concerned. As bad as the recession was for us, though, it actually helped us because people were looking at the retirement accounts and other things that the economy impacted. And that sort of extended that out. At the same time, however, we continue to look at how do we make sure that we transfer those skills as our workforce gets retirement eligible. So this retirement and the demographic shift is one big driver that we talk about on this podcast. Another is technology. Can you just give a little bit of background of how technology and automation are affecting the job mix and skills at Southern Company? So how we do our work has really transitioned and transformed over the past 15 or 20 years. At one time when I first joined the company, we actually had employees who were illiterate and they could still work for us because they were really just digging ditches to put gas pipeline in. Digging ditches still stays the same. We haven't figured out a way to transport natural gas any other way other than through pipes. But now we have a requirement that everybody has to use technology in order to track the work that they do. We've also had new regulations that require us to track our infrastructure a lot better. That's a good thing. But it does require a higher skill set for our employees. As technology comes in, and especially on the electric side, really changes how we deliver electricity, either by enabling distributed generation, how we manage our generating plants themselves, how we manage the wires, all of that requires a different skill set. And then there's another layer, 
about cyber. And our CEO, Tom Fanning, is very engaged in cybersecurity. That's a whole other level yeah. of technology and, and thought that you have to put into the workforce. So as you think about the groups of occupations you're trying to fill, what are the hardest to find the talent for? Well, I think it's on two ends of the spectrum. One is the skill sets that we're competing with everybody to get, which is things like cyber or how to bring in thoughts about new technology and how that drives how we think. So we're competing with, you know, the Apples and the Googles and and the banks and other infrastructure companies that aren't just electric or gas infrastructure. So that talent is very hard to get. And we don't need a lot of it, but we need the right mix. And then the other side is the people who really do the work on the wires and the pipes or in the generating plants. All the utilities have been putting more and more infrastructure on the ground and trying to compete for the same talent. So that's been a problem, too. Tell us about how you've changed the sales pitch for the utilities industry. You know, I talked about the recession in 2006, 7, 8. I think a lot of people came to appreciate the utilities at that time. So we were steady jobs. We pay really well. But the whole push for a four-year education has really worked against us. And so we have come together as an industry through the Center for Energy Workforce Development to try to tell our story. We're taking advantage of a push for hiring military. We've taken advantage of the push for STEM or STEAM. Yeah. So we're trying to tell our story everywhere we can. That's really our biggest opportunity. We've approached this at times on this podcast. It's talking about the middle skills gap. Mm-hmm. Is your experience with this middle skills challenge uh, reflective of data that you see out there? Is it one that keeps your CEO and the operating officers and so forth up at night as to how we fill this group of workers? It absolutely is. And I'll give a very tangible example of that. We are building the only new nuclear plant in the country, Plant Vogel out in Georgia, towards Augusta. We have gone through a lot of effort to get the right people on that site to keep us on track with what we're trying to deliver there. And that has been a real challenge. We thought about even going up to Canada to bring skill sets down because there's a real need for people who weld things. And, you know, you don't hear that as one of the sexy jobs out there, but it certainly is. It pays quite well and there's a lot of competition for it. What have been some of the techniques or tools you've used to try to burnish up that pipeline, build it up a little bit more? One of the things is really partnering with the right groups. And so partnering with labor has been really important for us. And the IBEW has been a great, and that's the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. They've been a really great partner for us, helping to go attract talent. That's what they're there to do, partly. And for us to make sure that we look at them as a partner, we don't look at them as something to be afraid of. We look at something to bring to the mix. Can you tell us a bit more about how you interact with unions and what makes it productive? Their role really is to help attract workforce as well, similar to what we're trying to do. They want to keep their people employed and they want to be able to tell the story too. So we partner with them. Can you tell us a bit how apprenticeships interact with this work that you do with unions? So it depends on what union you're looking at and what role they're playing. In Illinois, when I was up there, we worked with our contractors to work with the local labor unions who had put the apprenticeships in, who had the labor halls that were bringing in people. We worked with them to ensure they were employing that type of labor. At Southern Company, we think about the IBEW as a partner with our workforce that we're paying who happen to be union members. So this cross-collaboration between organized labor groups, companies, and, and nonprofits in this space. That's right. If you thought about these middle skills jobs, how much do you expect people to have the skills when they show up at the door or you're screening on that to recruit them in versus Southern Company will take the, the talent and add in the, the extra ingredients that it needs? 
there's a, some basic skills that are required to enter into the workforce. One is literacy, but there's actually a fundamental math test that has to be passed. We do expect that skill, although even that we're finding to be a barrier for our diversity and inclusion initiatives. So really even challenging ourselves on how to think about that, because we really will train most of the skill sets we need to be able to work in the plants or on the pipes or on the wires. So we want people to have a sort of a basic understanding. The most important skill that I see is mechanical aptitude. And that's something that I think we're moving away from because we have video games and other yeah. things. But, you know, we don't have cars that people tinker with anymore. They all have computers. So mechanical aptitude, again, maybe help our listeners and even a podcast host. That's you got a wrench. You're able to you do stuff with You it. know what a wrench is. You yeah. know what a <laughs> screwdriver is. And you're able to work it. And you're able to go up to a meter and put a wrench on a nut or a bolt and unscrew it. And you have that natural ability. And not all of us have that. But that's a really important skill because our people are doing those things. They are in people's homes, lighting furnaces crawling on the floor, they're in ditches, and they're working with their hands. Um, and they're willing to be outside when it's 100 degrees or when it's minus 20 with the wind chill in well, Illinois. Up here, it gets even a little bit less than that. Can you also say a little bit about how attractive these jobs are? They're not low-paying jobs. No, you can be making six figures pretty quickly in these jobs. And so the thing we haven't done a great job of is reminding people that these are very good companies. All of our companies are about 100 plus years old. They're all very stable companies. Tell us a little bit about the diversity side. What dimensions are you working to expand on and what are some of the tools or approaches to field more women candidates, more minorities? We're focused on making sure that our workforce reflects the communities we serve. And so that's everything from making sure that we're thoughtful and intentional about attracting diverse candidates, if you would, into the companies, but also allowing them to be successful once they're in. As women, it's military. We've had a huge focus on military candidates because a lot of folks in the military have that mechanical aptitude, and they've actually demonstrated it, learned it. They have tons of good skill sets. Mechanical aptitude and leadership is a great skill sets for us. Obviously, African-Americans and all sorts of every other diversity. A Southern Company several years ago really looked at how to think about diversity and recruiting Hispanics and put forth a very intentional effort to recruit engineering students from Puerto Rico. If I imagine your multi-state region, there'll be some locations where it's predominantly about reaching out to the African-American community, other locations where there's maybe a military base nearby, so there's people that have retired how different is it across the geographies in terms of the playbook that you need to run? It is a little bit different intention in, in different areas. And it's probably not as broad as just Georgia and Alabama. It's very localized as to how we think about that. Okay. I mean, you thought about this big talent pipeline that you're creating at the Southern Company. What are some of the big questions that you have grappling with right now? What, what's the thing that mm -hmm. you've sort of put on the agenda for 2025? We want to be able to do this. You know, our CEO shared at a recent executive meeting that he really thinks the next 10 years are the industrial revolution for the energy business. And I think that's right. Before we go further, that, that <laughs> seems like a pretty big statement. So let's un unpack it a little so bit. So I don't know that we'll revolutionize how we deliver natural gas or how we deliver electricity via pipes or wires. I think that the access to distributed generation, so what that means is somebody generating electricity closer to their work. They're usually commercial industrial businesses, so they're businesses. What that means, us being able to take that back onto the electric grid, um, rooftop solar will become more and more accessible. People being able to drive electric cars and being able to charge them overnight or putting extra uh, electricity back onto the grid, how we deliver that energy and how it's generated, 
what that mix looks like really, I think, over this next decade will be tremendously different. Okay, now let's go back to that workforce thing. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying the industrial revolution for utilities is on the horizon. What do you need to do to get ready? We still need people who have mechanical aptitude or willing to work outside who are smart. Leadership is a big thing I always look for is how does somebody lead, whether your title has a leadership title in it or not. A lot of our workers out there are really independent contractors in their own trucks with small crews. So they have to be able to make good decisions. They're dealing with safety um, all the time. So they have to be able to create a safe environment. And so will it change a lot? Maybe not. But I do think we have to bring in innovation, which is something we're not as good about. You just mentioned the contractors that Southern Company uses. In an era where people are talking about the gig economy and kind of blended workforces, you're already there. You have both full-time employees and also contractors. How has that shifted your workforce development strategy? How does it play in and you're thinking about the the types of workers you, you employ? Well, I think it's required us to really think about our contractors as workers. First, you look at contractors as just a way to supplement your workforce that's a little bit perhaps less expensive because you don't have to pay them for vacation. You pay them when you need them. And as the war for talent really in this area has continued, we've been very focused on, well, what makes sense for our contractors to do and how do we make sure that we're helping them attract talent? Then you look at how are we helping them partner with organized labor. And then ultimately, we at Center for Energy Workforce Development decided that we should have them with us as partners and we should really look at them as partners in this whole workforce development. It took us a while to get there. We started in 2006 and brought them on in 2017. And they're an active voice and they provide us sometimes a pipeline for talent too. Going now to CWD, you have two different roles. You're the chair of CWD, but you're also, of course, a customer through the Southern Company. As a utility, what attracts you about CWD? What makes you become a partner in that? How do you use the resources? Talk us a little bit about the company perspective. Yeah, so the company perspective of CEWD is that they're helping to bring together a utility perspective. They're really thinking about not just a company, but how we think about it as an industry. CWD leadership has done a very nice job of partnering with in some areas that the utility companies wouldn't naturally go to like school boards, um, some of the stuff we were able to do up in Washington, we would have to do that a little bit differently. And then one of the things that we've done nicely at CEWD is put together state consortium where all the utilities within that state come together to take down kind of a national strategy down into a state perspective. From a company, it gives us an opportunity to work with some peers that we may not naturally work with it also allows us to think bigger than we would if we were on our own. Okay, so it shares information across the nationwide industry, yes. and then you have to figure out how to apply it locally. That's right. Are there limits that you see as to what CWD can or should be doing in the space of skills development? Well, I would say at CWD, we've tried to take a pretty broad swath at a lot of things. We have some tools out there that allow individuals to get certified. So I don't know if there's places that we shouldn't be doing, but we should be doing a better job of making sure that all of our companies understand what we're doing. Making sure that everybody who's a member understands what the tools are and are we really leveraging them to be able to achieve the mission we're all trying to accomplish. We have a previous podcast with Ann Randazza, the executive director of CWD, who talks a lot about the great work that you're doing there. Do you think that the program needs to become a little bit more mandatory or keep it more of like a a resource for companies to take what they pick out of that? Well, that's a very interesting question that we haven't really challenged ourselves with. But given the fact that while we are 
very collaborative in the workforce development space. But at the end of the day, we're also competitors, especially in the public markets. Um, a requirement would be a really hard thing to do with CEWD. So I think we've got to continue to do as a board is making sure that CEWD is delivering what it needs to for the companies to be able to leverage it. The question comes on whether it should be required would indicate to me that we're doing stuff that our companies don't want us to do. So if we're doing everything at CEWD that our company members want us to do, it shouldn't be required. They should be opting in just on their own volition there. That's right. So CEWD originally got created about 10, 12 years ago for what was the silver tsunami at that time. Uh, And then you've shifted more into technology development. As you think about this industrial revolution that is coming to the utility space, how do you think CEWD is going to evolve or, or need to jump over the next 10 years to get in front of that? Yeah, so we have uh, about 2016 or so, we took a chance, which was about the 10-year anniversary of CEWD. We took a chance to really challenge ourselves to say, are, is CEWD still relevant? We had our first in-person board meeting that we brought everybody together and really went through more strategic planning. And we validated that we are indeed still relevant. I think that one of the opportunities we have is to continue to say relevant how. And so as we think about that industrial revolution, we think about distributed generation, we think about some of the other disruptors that are coming into our industry, including other players who are not utilities. How do we think about that? I don't think we've quite gotten to that question yet. There is a real fear in the utility industry that Amazon and Google are going to take over the world, including ours. It's not just in the utility industry. (laughs) (laughs) And so we haven't yet addressed that with CEWD, but I think that's part of the next phase of what we're Maybe you want to invite them in. Well, there's a little bit of that, yes. Across your time as chair of CWD, what's been the most surprising thing that you've experienced? One, that we have a lot more tools than I probably even knew that we did, and we don't tell that story very well. So while we're put together to tell a story about the industry, we don't tell our own story very well. Two, I think that we have validated our relevance and that as much as we were trying to solve a problem in 2006, that problem still exists. And the third thing is we're not as good as succession planning there. We're not good at succession planning internally at CEWD either. Okay. One of the things that I'm sure you get asked a lot is application of CEWD to another industry space because there's a lot of industries that are grappling with a, a shortage of workers for middle skills. And I would say look at dirty jobs. That focus has been on these jobs that are more like ours. And so that has brought a focus on these industries that pay really well, maybe be a little dangerous, a little different, but that's very powerful too. So is there a way that people can collaborate where they're still competitors? And I think we as a utility industry should collaborate with other industries as well about how to tell the story about our jobs. I look at the other industries as our customers, because they are, and we want them to be healthy. It's really important for us from an economic development perspective to make sure that the states that we serve also have really good workforces and are developing those workforces. As you think about both your work at Southern Company, also CWD, any parting advice you would give to business leaders about talent pipeline management, making sure that they've got a good skills base for the future? I think it is important to be focused on all the time. And it's important to let the people in your community know what you're focused on. So a previous job I had, I had the opportunity to be the president of NICOR Gas, which is very focused in Illinois. And one of the things that I did was really partner with the community colleges to tell our story. 
Whether or not it made a difference in our workforce, I don't know. But it was really important for the people who are touching the students in our local areas to know what jobs we have. And I'm not sure that all of our customers who are employers do a good job of that either. We don't do a great job. I think that's an opportunity for all employers to really tell their story because all of us employ not just the people making the product and ensuring that gets delivered, but we also have a lot of back office work. So we hire everybody from accountants to engineers. We hire a lot of those to lawyers, HR people. While middle skills is a very important part of our workforce and is the predominant part of our workforce, we hire a lot of other people too. And I think that's the advice I'd give to all of us is that we need to be thoughtful about how do we engage where we are living to make sure people know we have great jobs. It's been our pleasure to have Beth Reese, Executive Vice President of Shared Services at Southern Company, also the Chair of the Center for Energy Workforce Development. Thanks, Beth. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening in. 